Welcome back to Crazy Careers to Consider. I'm Tim, and here in a recording studio somewhere in Irvine, California, with my good buddy Zen. Hello. And this is the podcast about unusual jobs and careers that are out there. Today, we're going to talk about a bunch of crazy careers, not just one, from around the world, like pet food tester and professional cuddler. Right after the break. (laughs) I'm not sure what all those made it. Okay. (laughs) Help! I Need a New Career Podcast is sponsored by the University of California, Irvine, Division of Continuing Education, a U.S. News Top 10 Public University. Do you have a career goal? With over 60 certificates, we've helped over a quarter million students achieve theirs, and we can help you achieve yours too. To learn more, you can find us at ce.uci.edu forward slash DCE. And once again, ce.uci.edu forward slash DCE. Dream big. Take risks. Be amazing. So as usual, I was kind of tasked to come up with a few careers to feature. And funny, actually, some of these didn't, sh- we're going to put them in later on. But um, we came across a bunch that were really interesting, but they weren't really viable career paths, either because the jobs weren't here in the United States, or they had limited information or limited number of jobs. Uh, but despite the randomness of the careers that I wanted to feature, uh, we do find ones that are really, really um, interesting ones for the right person. And uh, nonetheless, I told Zen that these jobs were too fun not to mention. So we decided to do a, a little bit, something a little bit different. We decided to do a lightning round of them because they are so awesome. Um, since we have so many, we figured we would do a few episodes on these. Otherwise, our podcast would be two hours long, which I know everyone would appreciate. <laughs> Um, hope it's a long car drive that you're listening to it. Yes. If you're commuting <laughs> from like Northern California to Southern California, that's cool. It would be a good podcast. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> we have five jobs that we're going to cover in this lightning round. Um, and these are awesome. And I, when I mentioned the first one, I think everyone's just going to, you're going to love it right off the bat. So the very first job is called a professional pusher. It sounds like it's drug related. It, yes, it does. <laughs> and, and it's not. And, um, so what this job is, uh, and this actually had a long history, um, as long as the subways have been around. Right. right. So it has to do with subways. It's a pusher on subways. And basically, it's very, very literal. It's someone who corrals and pushes people onto trains during rush hour times. And to pack them in as like sardines the best that they can get as many people onto one subway train at the same at, at once as possible. Yeah, it's it's for super efficiency. Um, because I, so I've lived in New York. Um, do they have them in New York? No. Okay. Okay. It's like, the, wow. The, the people in New York just take care of the problem on their own. They're like, are you in or out? <laughs> off? You know, that kind of thing. But it's, it's when, when things get really crowded, sometimes people don't know what they're doing. They don't, they don't have, they're not making the decision fast enough. Yeah. Um, and it's holding up the trains and places like Japan, um, this is, this has been around for a while actually, right. they have these guys and they're, they, they're, they're rail or, or subway officials when they wear white gloves and they yeah and they wear uniforms they uniforms look, yeah yes. and hats and they're mm-hmm. very formal and they they physically like move people the gently not so gently <laughs> from what i see <laughs> right and so so um this was a practice in new york i guess but i'm talking like back in the early 1900s mm-hmm. um and i think it kind of it, it's kind of tapered off 
as right. time went on. But there are a few countries out there where but they still do they it. Still do it. Actually, what I I've seen them in I have seen videos of people in Japan doing it. But my understanding is they actually don't do it anymore because when I was there. I didn't see it. And the way they alleviated this was they, they added more trains more frequently. <laughs> Which you might think Which, of the logical thing rather than yeah. getting people to push people onto them. Right. But, you know, they, at one point they didn't have enough trains, I guess. And so they were trying to get essentially literally one, 200 people into a cart that was designed for like 100 people. And people were <clears> like <throat> literally you could, you could just kind of go limp. And just hang there because there are so many people pushed into the same cart as you were. Like hovering two inches off the ground. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a crazy job to have. And I, I, But apparently it still exists in parts of China, I think. I, I, think, I think I saw China, Spain, and Germany. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I, don't really, I don't really know how you become a professional pusher, um, but you would have to probably move to one of those countries. Um, and go find out. And you have to be very um, comfortable with being around big groups of people. <laughs> well, the next one we had was um, Antique Picker. So you may not know this. This one's really cool. Yeah. Um, actually, I collect antiques, and I've actually met quite a few antique pickers, strangely enough. But when you collect antiques or when you go to an antique store, so antiques are – it's not like it's a mass-produced item. You have to find these items. So if you are selling – whatever you might have, you actually need to find these in people's garages or somewhere. And so lots of antique stores will employ a bunch of pickers. And these, what these pickers will do is they'll go across the area that they're assigned to and they'll go to the garage sales. They'll go to the swap meets. They'll go to other antique shows and they'll try to find the item that you're looking for to be either in your <coughs> antique, uh, in your antique, uh, store mm-hmm. or if you're an individual to sell it directly to you mm-hmm. and um so like it's funny because i used to collect fountain pens and i've met other people who only th- actually it's strange i met this uh gentleman who was from japan and all he cl- bought was 1900s fountain pens and old japanese robot toys wow and I was like, so finally I asked, well, how, what is this? And and his father owned an antique shop on in Japan. And they had two things that they sold. They sold fountain <laughs> pens. And all those old Japanese robots, they're all gone in Japan. They're mm-hmm. already privately owned. So the only ones they can find that were mm-hmm. sent out in mass, mass amounts mm-hmm. were in the United States. And so this young man, when I met him, and he was in his like 20s. He used to come around and he actually had a roll of bills the size of a softball. Mm-hmm. And it all filled with $100 bills. And he would just pay out in cash. That's so, so crazy. that was kind of interesting. That's so crazy, and it, it's um this is a um really interesting job. You, you've probably seen quite a few shows on this. Mm-hmm. There's like American Pickers, and mm-hmm. I don't know. There's the they whole, do it with cars. Yeah, people absolutely. go looking looking for old specific mm-hmm. year cars, and they'll actually to just go find. And it's a full time mm-hmm. job. And well, the interesting thing about it is it, it really kind of hit more of a it became more mainstream or became more in the public light when the economy kind of hit a downturn and it was a way for people to earn additional income. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say easily, but it's, it's a, it's something that's there. It's, 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 it's available to you. And basically these professional pickers will go around, they'll go to people's um, garage sales, garage sales yeah. and they'll find stuff. They have a, they have a, if you want to be one of these, you have to have a pretty vast knowledge of 
what is what is actually valuable and what's not. Right. Um, and that's why usually they have specific fields that you only do something very specific right. in the area. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, there's um, there's all these steps. I mean, you can set up your own business. You can mm-hmm. be uh, a professional picker and have that be an antique picker and that be that be uh, that's your business right mm-hmm. um and and it's funny because sometimes when people become successful at this they they have a network so they have yeah. these, these folks that are out there for them mm-hmm. looking for stuff <clears throat> looking for sailors uh, or sellers they go bird dogging right, right? And, that, that, and that's you're, you're looking for potential sellers right um and so you build up a network and you're just going in um and, and, and trying to find stuff and bid for them that uh, or pay a good price that you know you can make a profit on. Yeah. In the Midwest, I've actually seen quite a few of them. And, you know, I used to be for my own personal because I was shopping for myself. But you would see the same people over and over again at 7 a.m. when every garage sale opened. And then you would go to garage sale to garage sale to garage sale. And you would follow and you would see the same people. <clears throat> but it was obvious that they weren't purchasing for themselves. They were actually mm-hmm. purchasing to resell to someone else. Right. So it, It's just interesting. Um, and, and real quick, <clears throat> I was, then was talking about this uh, this guy from Japan. Um, I, I, read a, I read something when we were researching these jobs. And there was this woman who bought this doll in like the 70s. And it's some like 1960s doll that you, you like pull a cord on the back of it. And like its eyes change color. <laughs> it's kind of a weird thing, but she ended up selling it on eBay, like in the early two thousands or something mm-hmm. like that, for like twelve hundred dollars. And she bought this thing for like two bucks, right. a dollar. Um, and it was someone from Japan who just it was became a collector's item, and she didn't even know until she started looking up online and saw that they were going for an exorbitant amount of money. Right. So kind of crazy. Yep. So the we're gonna jump onto our third crazy job here and this one is probably my favorite of, <laughs> Me, of too. i gotta find um, out more about this one yeah so th- this one is it, it, these are real jobs mind you yes everyone look it up look it up yeah this is a water slide tester you heard that right water <laughs> slide, slide tester, tester. <laughs> um you know the, the the parks that you pay money to go to this mm-hmm. is someone that water park yeah test the, the the slides out and th- this is a this is a real job and this is the cool thing about this job, and I know we'll get more into a little bit more into what it is, is that it is seasonal. And why I'm saying that's cool mm-hmm. is that it, it's mostly only during the summertime. So if you have a job, like if you're a teacher and you have <laughs> the summers off, you can be a water slide tester. Yeah. I mean, that, that would be amazing. That, I was actually just thinking the same thing. It's, it's like the opposite of an elementary school teacher. Right. So you could do both jobs, to, you know. Exactly. And be employed full all year long. Totally. <laughs> and, and so the funny thing about this job, right, it's, it's – so there, there is a serious aspect to it. So like a water slide tester does uh, give honest feedback to the engineers, the mm-hmm. actual people who build these, these slides, about the safety of them, right? right? So safety is a big part of it. Um, but then there's also other factors to it where they're, they're looking at like the fun factor, like how crazy it is. Like, does it, does it really get your heart pumping? Is the adrenaline factor that crazy? Right. It, it's, it, I don't know. It's amazing. So, um, but I wonder how many jobs are out, are out there for that. I don't know. It might be a tight market. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder if there's like people that are just really good. Like they, they, that's, that's the person they call. Yeah. You know, it's just like they're on the, everyone's <laughs> list. It's like, Sarah, she's the best. Yeah. She's the best so. water slide tester. So, okay. but, but if you look it up, seriously, look it up. It's a real thing. And I did think about this then when we started researching this, mm-hmm. you could make this a full-time job if you're willing to travel. Oh yeah. So 
what this I mean by like that. This is like the golf ball diver thing yes, that we but, had but, spoken but, about. But you could technically do this in the United States during uh, the summer months here. And we'll go down to Chile. Yeah. During the winter. Or Australia or wherever you want to go yeah. during the, uh, the our winter mo- or the winter months. And then... Anywhere below the equator. Yeah. So you just go back and forth. Not a bad gig. <laughs> Check it out. So the next one I uh. thought... <laughs> <laughs> this next one, I, I I was like, when I, I found it, and then I'm like, no, I got to find, this can't be real. And I looked it up a couple times, and it absolutely is real. It is an electric shock giver. <clears throat> and um, <laughs> what this is, is that um, I believe it's in Mexico City. These guys come out at night, and they hang out by the bars. And they have these boxes, and essentially, <laughs> I mean, for lack of better words, it's almost like a, um, a car jump starter <laughs> machine. Mm-hmm. And what they do is, as people are coming out of the bars who are slightly inebriated or very inebriated, <laughs> the you pay, um, actually, this is even funnier. You go with a group of people, and you can either link hands or you hold them together. And they will increase the shock, the the intensity of the shock until you let go. And if there's like five of you linked together, so like one person holds it in their left hand, hold your friend's hand, hold your friend's hand, hold your friend's hand. And then the last person holds on to the other electrode. Whoever you you put up, you put up, it's kind of a bet. Mm -hmm. And whoever lets go first has to pay the electric shock. <laughs> the fees for everyone who's in the link. So this, this <laughs> is like the, this is this is the funniest one ever. Because when we were researching this, I, I don't know if you thought this too, Zim, but every picture we came across, it's all the same. It's some person holding a box yeah. that looks like a little control box yeah. with little knobs, right? Obviously right. to increase the the voltage, and they just walk around and hand out these little handles for people to hold on to and they're inevitably everyone i saw was they were all like young people oh, they're yeah. all like young people and, and it's, it's it's just totally funny. well and apparently it, i mean it, this is crazy to me like i don't this i don't think i don't know if this could exist here in the united states <laughs> it's probably just, a liability yeah it's gotta well, be because liability. they're talking about the voltage when it goes through and it gets to the point where when it goes over like 80 volts uh-huh you you start like that's when you actually start grabbing so you can't let go oh no and so you actually have to tell them stop stop i mean luckily i would say luckily it only goes up to 120 volts but still <laughs> like only isn't that what we have when we plug it in a light socket I, I, I feel like i wouldn't be able to play if they told me you know once it gets to like halfway there like you probably can't let go and you can't your your jaws locked as yeah, well so, so you can't tell you, them and everyone thinks you're super tough because yeah. you're just holding on but yeah there's there's people um that, that facilitate this whole madness. It, yeah, There's I don't know. There's many ways to make a living. There That's are. That's just one I didn't know. This one I didn't know about. You could go down this list if you wanted to. Just try them. <laughs> trial by error. <laughs> that might be the last one. <laughs> so our last one um, is a really cool uh, career or, or, or a career path. Uh, it's, it's a iceberg mover. Iceberg mover. Something that would have been helpful. Not iceberg lettuce. Yeah, not iceberg lettuce. You're not pushing iceberg <laughs> you're lettuce. You're not on like people. from a farm. <laughs> no. You're actually you're moving, actually moving those those iceberg things like the Titanic Titanic had problems with. Yeah. Right? So the, these are um, crews, uh, presumably on tugboats, I would yeah. I would assume. From what I saw tugboats, yeah. And and they they latch onto icebergs and move them out of harm's way. Yes. Out of roots. Yes. Well there's roots like for 
whether it's um, cargo ships or if they're <clears throat> um, passenger ships, but essentially there's routes, kind of like highways that you, it's on the ocean. There are these places where ships typically travel. They know that they're deeper, but one of the hazards in the cold weather is that sometimes the um, icebergs will break off and they'll have big chunks and they'll be in the routes and they're hazard to the uh, essentially the travel ways mm-hmm. of these boats. And so there's people who will, it's kind of equivalent of like someone who runs a snow uh, plow, right? Mm-hmm. So during the winter in Pennsylvania, you have people who plow snow to get the snow off the roads. Mm-hmm. However, in, in parts of Antarctica or whatever, you have people who professionally remove icebergs with yeah. uh, with tugboats. Well, you, you know what's crazy about this? When we were reading about this particular job, um, it, it's it's just it's one of those things that, that you know, we're, we're humans and this is one of the things we do. And it's kind of unfathomable to be able to move <laughs> icebergs. Yeah. But it, the crazy thing about it, these ropes that they told that they pull these icebergs with can be like up to like three quarters of a mile long. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's crazy if you think about that. Right. Yeah. And the reason why. And here's another crazy part. So while the boat is pulling the iceberg away mm-hmm. the the one of the big dangers is is that the iceberg will actually flip over mm. and if it flips over if it's too short it'll obviously crash into the boat and oh wow it, or when it does that it creates uh high waves that i knew yeah <laughs> so they, if they have to have like a, a literally like three quarters of a mile between the boat and the iceberg <laughs> and so they say it can take up to like 72 hours to move one iceberg it's an interesting world out there. But how cool would that be to tell if you're like at a party and someone's like, what do you do? And people are like, I'm a financial analyst. What do you do? I'm a teacher. Well, I'm, I move icebergs. And just like, like what? <laughs> I'm a multimillionaire. I'm an iceberg mover. It's like well, everyone starts to talk to yeah. the iceberg. Ooh, Absolutely. Tell us more about this. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so that's about all the time we have for this podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed our show, we love it if you would give us five stars out of five on iTunes or Google Play to increase our ranking so others can find us too. A little shameless, shameless plug. Um, thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll come back and hear us again real soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.